bitch is bad and bullshit. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erica. And I'm Arzu. And we are back after a couple of weeks off. I hope you guys missed us because we missed you. Um, Lots been happening. So let's start out with what we have as new content for y'all. I wrote a Bad and Bitchy Hill Times piece on Wednesday, really calling out the media for their discrepancy between how they um, deal with or talk about uh, victims of color versus white victims and how in that they are being unbi- they are being biased. So check that out. Uh, I was also profiled in Ottawa Magazine this week, or was it last week? Last week, the outgoing editor has had uh, sort of, she put together this reflective piece on how Ottawa Magazine has served racialized communities in Ottawa over her um, oversight, I guess you could call it. Uh, And she, instead of, you know, opining, she actually reached out to a few of us, including me and Adrian Harewood, who, as you know, or as you probably know, was on Canada land talking very honestly and openly about being black in the newsroom. Judy Trin and um, Greg McKee. So check that out. We have a link in the show notes. So some admin news. We have some new stuff coming up for you guys. We just had a very interesting Uh, strategy discussion yesterday. I'm super excited. Um, But we, in order to make this happen, and in order for us to make bad and bitchy work for you, we're going to need feedback from you. So coming up in the next few weeks, we're going to ask you guys for feedback. And we need this to be able to support you as you have supported us. Please uh, know that we really do thank you for your support. You guys have, we've seen increase in downloads, increase in subscribers. Keep it coming. Uh, as usual, there are many, many ways you can support us. Leave a comment on iTunes. Or sorry, Apple Pods, Casts, I should say. Um, like share our content, comment, give us feedback. I really do like when you guys actually take little pieces off the pod, like little quotes from us, and then you talk to us about it on Twitter. That's pretty cool. Um, because I really forget what I say sometimes. Now, I was just about to say the same thing. I'm like, Oh, I forgot I said that. That's cool. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> like, I really like that because it shows that people are listening and engaging with the content and really asking yeah. questions. Because this discussion does not begin and end in a podcast episode. We're giving you um, uh, a runway with which we're trying to equip you with the right knowledge to have these conversations out in the wild. Uh, so for 
Um, those of you who cannot contribute to our Patreon, I just talked about ways in which you can support us. For those who can afford it, we do ask you to to donate to our Patreon to take this work going. We are coming up with a plan and a tiered plan to like have more of a reciprocal relationship with you. One that's built in reciprocity and not built in just you giving a shit. So um, thanks for your support so far. Share our podcast with everybody you know. That's a great way to support us. So after that lecture, let's get on with it. All right. This week in feminism. Guess what we're going to talk about first, everybody? That's right. We charity. So. Yay. Yeah. (laughs) This is a little extra because, you know, we um Mm -hmm. so i never knew about we before the canada land investigation of 2018 which revealed that they are connected to no fewer than three companies known to use child and slave labor in their supply chain we logos can be found promoting products made in part by children including hershey's oh god hershey's they're the worst yep Uh, That contain cocoa farmed by child laborers in West African countries. Kellogg's products that contain palm oil farmed by child laborers in Indonesia. And a large partnership with Unilever, which has been a major purchaser of palm oil produced with child labor. I will also extend Unilever to beauty products and talk about uh, and introduce like skin lightening beauty products that are also used not just by adults so there's that yeah in other words the whole point of this is you can't have power without responsibility and Aaron reminds me all the time that I'm quoting spider-man and then somebody reminded me it wasn't spider-man it was his uncle or something anyway all this to say that (laughs) (laughs) responsibility and power come hand in hand and when that is out of balance then we have corruption basically oh and we're gonna talk about that exactly so let's go through the origin story of this bullshit organization so at one point this was called free the children so we charity used to be called free the children and before that kids can free the children it is a private for-profit me to we sorry is a private for-profit business but we prefers to call it a social enterprise sure jan yeah exactly (laughs) they are huge they have over a thousand employees and i will i will say if you really know want to know about a a company you have to listen to the people with the least amount of power and how they're treated in the in that company that will tell you everything you need to know about a company um so their We School program is active in 16,000 schools and groups locally, delivering both extracurricular programming and actual school lessons, which sometimes include mention of We's corporate's partners, providing these brands rare access in child ch- inside children's schools. So if you know anything about the history of McDonald's, child psychology played a lot into it, and this is just more child psychology, to encourage like incorporate children into a lifelong brand relationship. 
So for example, school children might be encouraged by We Schools to participate in the We Bake for Change program, sponsored by Robin Hood Flour, wherein kids are encouraged to hold a bake sale to raise money for We Charity. Wow, that's exploitation. Um, so this is their origin story. At the age of 13, Craig Kielberger confronted PM, the then PM, uh, Jean Chrétien, on an issue that has become his crusade, abolishing the use of child labor in developing in third world <laughs> countries. The incident made international headlines and got Kielberger invited onto 60 Minutes and Oprah. You know what? We got to talk about Oprah one of these days because I have thoughts. Okay. <laughs> It also launched an empire. In the 23 years since, Craig Kielberger and his brother Mark have built a vast international organization called We, or alternatively, the We Movement. So, um, uh, Arzu, this is your bread and butter. You You know the nonprofit sector like the back of your hand. So, take it away as to why this charity fucking matters right now at a time when we're in covid and you know basically students need help so take us through the canada student service grant all right so on june 25th um so last week the prime minister justin trudeau and his government announced that um, they are awarding a 19.5 million sole source contract to We Charity to administrate the Canada Student Service Grant or the CSSG, which is in itself a, nine, uh, a 912 million dollar program offering grants of between a thousand and five thousand dollars to post-secondary students in return for supervised volunteer hours, and this got them, you know, uh, you know, coming under fire for a few reasons. So according to the government's webpage, the Canada Student Service Grant ranges from $1,000 to $5,000, and the more volunteer hours students put in over the summer, the higher grant amount they will be eligible to receive. To accumulate hours, students can volunteer with more than one charity or nonprofit organizations, um, and the grant is only offered in increments. So in increments of $1,000 for every 100 uh, volunteer hours. So this means that you won't be receiving $1,500 uh, for 150 completed hours. You know, you have to go like 100 by 100. So te- technically, if you volunteer for 130 hours, 30 hours of that won't even translate into grant funding and will be volunteer job that you might have done um, either way. Right. And this is infuriating because there are hundreds of community groups and even organizations whose job is to place volunteers with nonprofit organizations um, and local services. And um, we're going to get to the fact that, again, this whole volunteer program is exploitative and exploits the labor of young people a bit you know, further down the line. But for now, I want to talk about the fact that, again, there are organizations, there are nonprofits whose job, whose whole mandate is to promote volunteerism and connect young people, volunteers in communities with services and much needed supports um, where they can have a real impact in their community. So invest of taking that funding and investing it in the nonprofit sector or in organizations that already do this work, the government had to go ahead and um, you know, 
know, grant that money and offer the administration of this service to we. And again, just in here in the GTA, I can name, I don't know, like Neighborhood Network in York region or Volunteer Toronto. I know there is an organization called Volunteer Ottawa um, who have yeah. a proven track record, again, in doing um, this work. So why didn't the government just do a little bit more research and strengthen pre-existing networks in the nonprofit sector that is literally being stifled by chronic underfunding and overwork? Um, so in addition to that, um, the $19 million going to WE, again, could have saved and supported dozen, dozens of organizations that have already been asking for government support uh, throughout the pandemic, but also um, before the pandemic. Again, the nonprofit sector, I liter- it, I'm, it's literally the superpower and the exploited labor of like marginalized people, especially marginalized women who keep it going. So I, I think as someone who, who is leading in a nonprofit sector, who is working with Black, Indigenous, and racialized young women in the nonprofit sector, I just find it very infuriating that that's where the government thought they would, you know, they could add value to, um, you know, support young people who, who are unemployed or who are trying to serve communities throughout the pandemic. Um, you know, whether it be Assembly of Seven Generations in Ottawa, delivering groceries to indigenous youth or groups like the Hamilton and Scarborough, uh, Scarborough Mutual Aid Networks to, I don't know, Laudion, another Brampton-based organization serving South Asian women and girls. Again, these are just a few organizations who are being, you know, led by racialized people, by young people, by young women of color who are doing amazing work unpaid on a volunteer basis completely and solely based on donations from uh, their communities who've been doing, uh, you know, community service throughout the the pandemic. So um, it's just, uh, I I am so frustrated. I can't even like, I I don't have the words to say (laughs) uh, when it comes to, uh, again, the complete, you know, to, to explain the complete disregard of the exploited and unpaid labor of like marginalized people within the nonprofit sector right now. Um, and again, this is very contrary to everything that the government's been saying that they stand for, not just throughout this mandate, but but the Liberals' previous uh, majority mandate as well, right? So in August of 2019, the federal government banned unpaid internships in federally regulated industries, except for educational programs and co-ops. Um, and this was a part of their 2015 campaign platform. So how is a government that is supposedly against the exploitation of young people's labor and for gender equality creating a program with such high eligibility criteria? Again, I said they get money for each hundred hours completed in the middle of a pandemic where the economic fallout has significantly impacted young women and racialized people. So we're talking about $900 million that is distributed as grants um and you know instead of i don't know expanding the canada summer jobs program and injecting that money into a nonprofit and service sector that is already like plagued by chronic underfunding and you know again it, it is a gender equality issue we know that according to the nonprofit ontario nonprofit network um a maximum of 80% of employees in the sector identify as women 
and my lived experience, my background as someone who's leading again within this sector um, attests to the fact that um, so much of social services and support systems um, that in many cases of, are basically government responsibilities that have been downloaded to this sector depend on the unpaid and underpaid labor of women and marginalized people. So again, we're talking about a reproduction of already oppressive systems that have created an e- economic system that um, actively marginalize um, the, the same people that this government uh, claims to, to be supporting. Again, just to um, kind of amplify that point, according to the Toronto Star, who first reported the story, We Charity had hired 465 contract workers before uh, the charity and Ottawa ended their partnership of the CCSG. So as a result, they had to lay off 450 of those contract workers while giving only 15 of them full-time positions. So again, they literally created another cycle where uh, potentially young people, people in the nonprofit sector who you know mostly happen to be women, were once again laid off in the middle of a pandemic. Um, the she session. Again, yeah, it's just, exactly. It just seems to be um, compounding, to be honest. Honestly, and we don't even know if CRB will be extended again, right? So again, well, it's another 450 people with, left with no income who, who don't know how they're going to um, not only get throughout the pandemic or face the economic fallout that has begun, but will continue to follow the pandemic once it's, you know, quote unquote over as well the government has cocked this up so badly so i know here's the thing we have right now the canada emergency student benefit yeah which is uh a four-week eligibility period and Mm -hmm. it pays one thousand two hundred and fifty dollars the these this is for post-secondary students though not not earlier um no so uh now it is available to graduating high school students um who would expect to be enrolled in a post-secondary educate yes education institution yeah Yeah. so my thing is you can get the cesb for two periods right Mm-hmm. So you can make what? What are we at? Um, what did I say? Twelve fifty. You can make twenty five hundred in two months. Why would you then volunteer a hundred hours for a thousand dollars? In grant money that will co- again get to you in November. In November, again the eligibility that period no for this volunteer program. It's June 25th until October 31st, I think. And so again, within this four-month period, you will have to work a maximum of 500 hours to get that maximum grant um, money. Exactly. Um, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make right? economic sense. So you're actually sense. encouraging... Instead of creating jobs and encouraging people to work for the same amount of money, potentially less, during the same... Uh, time period you're basically promising them grant money that will come in the future again i'm not an economist i'm not sure how much money you know trudeau's got and his checking account but 
again, I would think that it would make more sense to actually put money in the pockets of people to grow their purchasing power or whatever it is. Especially as soon as possible, given that we're like, like, like demand, aggregate demand is collapsing. Yeah. Like that is the recession is an aggregate demand issue. Okay. So why would you um, like forego money? that can be used by students now because students spend all that money. They don't save shit. Yeah. You know? And and you know, and actually um support the economy that way instead of doing instead of exploiting people. Because this is highly exploitative. Yeah. My question too yeah. is that don't they have the Canada's student some the Canada student jobs program? Exactly. So why did why and couldn't they get expand to that? that? Yeah. Like, and why I do they have the to problem. promote unpaid labor and volunteerism instead? Exactly. Right? And with a kickback to their buddy. Yep. That is the issue. You know? It's really like an issue of like power, privilege, and, and corruption. And corruption. Right? And, and because we exploitation. Know, again, exactly. Because volunteerism is a privilege. Like young people who need to pay rent, support their families, admit the most basic necessities of life, again, in the middle of pandemic, can't afford to volunteer for hundreds of hours in a four-month period with the hopes of acquiring grants in the future. And we don't even know the payment schedule for those grants yet, right? Like, will I get my money three days after I've submitted my 100-hour worksheet? Like, none of that is public information, or will people have to pay, wait Does until November to be signed where off? they sign... That's the question. Yeah, Does right? it have to be signed Again, off? Again, it has to be signed off because they call it supervised volunteer work. So basically, again, we're putting young talking, people, vulnerable young people in a position where they could yeah. be exploited by their supervisors, okay, and thinking that mm-hmm. that's okay. And you know and that's what? An issue like in it the always sector. falls on people with li- with with the least amount of resources in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. So at their annual conference of the Ontario Nonprofit Network, where I was recognized as an emerging leader in the sector, um, I was talking to a bunch of other racialized women, and we we were talking about the fact that we perform so much unpaid labor and not volunteerism. I'm calling it unpaid labor specifically, because supporting our communities and creating sustainable support systems is not a choice for us, right? It's work that is much needed, and we're the ones stepping up, not just through the pandemic, but even before, to see our communities through the negligence that governments continue to put us through, right? Our work is essential, yet it's unpaid, and we don't volunteer our services because, you know, because we have extra time or choose to perform free labor. It's because more often than not, we don't have a choice but to fill the gaps that we see in our communities. But volunteerism, as popularized by organizations like we, is often accompanied by the privilege of making a conscious choice about lending time and expertise to certain causes and charities. So again, just like unpaid internships, this program would be most helpful to those who are potentially at a lower risk of facing poverty and intersecting marginalizations in this economy and, um, you know, in the future fallout. 
of, of this pandemic. So again, like many other government programs, it is much more focused on providing band-aid solutions that will get us out of this mess, aka the pandemic, than actually addressing the underlying causes that have created a rigid economy and marginalizations and gender wage gaps uh, for marginalized uh, young people, especially uh, women and trans folks who perform a majority of the unpaid work within the nonprofit sector. So trans we folks need long-term and indigenous folks do, and black yes. people do. Exactly, I, I kid you not. Probably seventy percent of the labor, but do not yeah. get nearly even fifty percent of of no. of the money. And- and the Ontario nonprofit um, network, their research actually, you know, um, solidifies that, right? It's like we're all, we make up 80% of the sector and we're not in the senior positions. And a majority of nonprofits that are uh, led by marginalized young women are the ones who are the least funded and who are the smallest. So again, Aside from what's happening in the sector and how much this money that goes to we, which is, again, as time has proven, a hypocritical and unhelpful organization when it comes to addressing the needs of local economies, local communities, um, especially in Canada, um, and addressing some of the problems that we're facing in the sector, um, there's also that conversation you know, about the government and their choice. To, to award that money and award that contract to an organization like we. Um, and it's really funny because I was talking um, to a friend earlier this week and I told her, it's like, do you remember when the whole country was dragging Jody Wilson-Raybould for pointing out this government's lack of integrity or when they, you know, or when every critic was basically shouting cabinet unity and confidentiality when she dared criticize the government publicly? Like, where are those people now? Like, I want to talk to those people. I'm like, okay, let's talk about government integrity. They, Please, they write for, for the National Post and the Globe and Mail. <laughs> honestly true i'm like you're not lying um i so tell this no week, lies Nath- no nathaniel erskine smith the liberal mp for the toronto writing of beaches east york didn't shy away from the media when he said that he was immediately on the phone with minister chagger to try and understand why the almost billion dollar funding was being administered administered the way it was and through we of all the optional, uh, of all, um, you know, out of all the options. Well, the government so, is trying to pretend that we was like their only option. And I think that's bullshit. The, tru- the, 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 the truth charity. of the matter is that this, you know, we is your only option when that's who you, the only people you seek out. Yeah. So you have not done the work to create the relation. Everything's about relationships, everybody. I'm telling you, mm-hmm. you want to get somewhere? you got to build relationships. So the government, instead of building relationships with, um, with organizations that specifically deliver programming and services to underprivileged youth, doing that grassroots organization, for example, doing the frontline work. So instead of that, what they're doing is they are giving control of almost a billion dollars of taxpayers money to their friends 
They're strengthening the disparities that already exist. Thank you. Again, in an underserved sector. Exactly. And the whole thing right? is, while people are literally protesting every day for access and equity and anti-racism, like, I find this a little racist. I got to be honest with you. Because the, the result will fall dis proportionately on black and indigenous and people of color BIPOC okay and I also want to point out that discrimination and racism has zero to do with intent it is the outcome yep. I don't give a fuck what your intent was I don't care if you were trying to do whatever the fuck you were trying to do because I can guarantee it was ill-informed and that ignorance should not save you later on you can't use your own and ignorance. Honestly, it's not even ignorance. I call it negligence. Yeah, it's negligence. Again, Erskine Smith, he said that the government already does have an effective and generous program in place for students through the summer jobs, right? And MPs themselves of all stripes are often helpful in steering that funding towards nonprofits in their local communities um that you know that are doing the work of serving communities of solving problems of reducing barriers throughout the pandemic or even you know before and after it right so that's that's what um Erskine Smith was saying as well right it's like we we already the government has a you know the 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 way we've been administering the Canada summer jobs program you know, through MPs' offices and through constituency offices, that's been working. So why couldn't we administer this, you know, f the same funding through that as well, right? Why did we have to, you know, give the money to we plus a $19 million administration fee to Trudeau's best friends to get the program off the ground, right? Because you just um, said it, Trudeau's best friends. Yep. Exactly. And again, there are outside of, you know, aside from Erskine Smith, there are other MPs who were asked to remain anonymous by the media who said that they're actually um, very actively questioning the team culture in the government as a result of this decision and the subsequent scandal. You mean the team uh, that MP starts with said, I? <laughs> I know. And one MP said that there aren't a lot of relationships between the PM and caucus and with most of the caucus relationships taking place remotely during the pandemic, there are even fewer opportunities for MPs to have contact with the PM and the tight team around him. Right? So again, Canada, please apologize to Jody Wilson-Raybould because she told you. She told you all of this a year ago. And you know what we decided to do? We decided to paint her as an angry, savage, indigenous woman who just couldn't get along with the program. That's right. Right. And uh, would also like to point out, we did the same to, not we, <laughs> y'all. <laughs> they do this to every marginalized woman did the in the same cabinet. To MP Selena, who told you, um, this guy's a bit of a motherfucker. Okay. And obviously, I'm paraphrasing. And um, the fact is, is that these are the people, um, or. You know, there are always these MPs who are working behind the scene. You never know what this so-called team culture looks like. But I could tell you who loses. It's usually um, racialized women who lose in that caucus. Yeah. 
And even in this scandal earlier this week, like Minister of Diversity and Inclusion and Youth, Bardish Chagir defended Chagir defended the choice of the government to award that money to we by suggesting that Employment and Social Development Canada made the decision. I just find it very interesting but that she's whenever the there's been a scandal, yeah, I know a scandal involving PMO connections and highlighting the lack of oversight on behalf of this government it has been racialized women who have in some way taking the fall or responsibility you know we had Maria Munsef and the electoral reform mandate which went out the door we had Jody Wilson Raybould again with the SNC Lavon um, scandal and now Bardish Chagger and we right and it brings me to this government's obsession with optics right Trudeau has gone to such great lengths to paint himself as a youth friendly and feminist PM as our self-proclaimed minister of youth and champion for gender equality, a lot of his decisions go against his attempts at positioning himself as such, right? Why didn't more money go go to organizations in the youth and gender equity sector who are already performing so much unpaid and volunteer labor? And I know, like seriously, I know youth groups, women's groups, community groups who've been contacting, you know, their their ministry department, you know, their ministry and their department contacts, like, can we get any money, right? We've had to reduce programming. We've had to lay off people. We are working overtime for free. Can we get any money? The answer has always been no, especially throughout this pandemic, right? So how come almost a billion dollars in funding to administrate a, volu- a volunteer program in the nonprofit sector. How is that going to we? Right? That's a very good and question. And you know more about that. Well, so maybe you should well, you should explain. I Okay, I This is what I'm speculating, okay? But I feel like I've room to speculate. Um so uh those decisions are made a PMO. This idea yeah. that that these decisions were made by cabinet is a fucking joke to me. It was made by PMO. I can guarantee. PMO, listen, exactly what you said. This what I noticed with the cabinet decisions of November. Remember? Let's think back to yeah. those cabinet decisions. A lot of those new people were close personal had close personal ties to the pm he was closing ranks okay and i think he was closing ranks because of the snc lavalin scandal and this whole idea and because of the minority mandate and the, right? and the minority this mandate is not time yeah. to play around anymore yeah, yeah yeah so he's surrounding himself with p with yes people okay so tell me who in pmo is going to say, actually, dude, this is terrible. By the way, I have a PMO story. So in October of 2018, I was um, interviewed by PMO, actually. So, um, and, you know, like, they were looking for what they call an issues advisor. So basically, you'll, you'll highlight and take an issue and just cre- yeah. and brief around it to various mm-hmm. entities so you know communications you'll brief them in a certain way uh you'll brief the analyst in a certain way and you'll brief cabinet and ministerial staff and so on and so forth right so um 
they didn't hire me, obviously. Uh, they canceled the uh, the recruitment. My guess is that they probably found a friend to do it. Somebody they knew. That's my guess. Um, so they didn't hire me. And that, honestly, it worked out best for me. Because I wouldn't want to be there now. And I kid you not, a f- like a few months later... Like four months later was was the Jody Wilson Raybould SNC Lavalin scandal. Like actually, it was like two months later, two or three, and I literally was thankful that hashtag the one that got away. the one that got away exactly. Thank you, because let me tell you something. I wouldn't be as effective there inside their bubble because I would just be yet another black woman who can't keep shut the fuck up about. And becomes annoying about equity and about access and about all of the things and feminism and all of the things that they espouse. But that's exactly what they need. It's funny because I told them, I said, yeah, I'm nonpartisan. Just to let you know. Oh, girl, how did they even let you through those doors? Because, you know, because my cover letter was like, you're a feminist government. I run a feminist podcast. You need that oversight. You're lacking it. It's obvious, basically. That was literally my cover letter. And and so, yeah. So, I mean, like they I would have ended up, you know, um, being uh, probably being gaslit and discredited. That's my guess. Yeah. With with zero recourse, mm-hmm. except Schadenfreude, which is nice. But but the point is, is that um, they do not. They weren't. They weren't exactly happy that I said that I was nonpartisan because they're like, this is a political role, and I'm like, yeah. But you, I literally told them I can actually be effective because you guys need somebody who's not like um, thinking party first, basically. But also, it's the PMO, so I feel like it would have been the same response from, you know, yeah. other prime ministers' offices, oh, yeah. as it would have been in the NDP. Yeah. But I'm like, yeah. it's just like a, but, a symptom but, of the but toxic political what culture I'm saying that we've created, is that right? what I offered them is exactly what they needed. And they were like, oh, no, and they're you. like, you know what? I'll get somebody else. We don't actually need to be feminists to get. Yeah, we don't. Okay, like we don't. We just have to pretend. Yeah, like you didn't think that we were serious about that, did you? Ha 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 ha. Anyway, so that's a little a a little aside from me. But yeah, I um, this whole idea of teamwork has been used as a point of as a wand of as a stick of oppression, basically. It's like that whole like multi-partisan or non-partisan thing again that people like to t- throw around, right? Because when you say you're multi-partisan, it means that okay, b- we need to make room for all of these other bigoted ideas. So we're gonna shut up about all of the inequitable and like problematic shit that's going to happen in this space, just to not make the racist white ladies sad. Yeah, right. That's what like, they're basically saying. Why are saying. we still like, funding Equal Voice, girl? Okay. Can we just, like, move on? Because I'm like, I'm... Okay. Next. That's a whole okay. other conversation. So, I'm, like, I'm just going to give you... A, <laughs> this would turn into a four-hour podcast. I, yeah. And we're all... <laughs> I feel like I'm, we're already running low on time. Um, so, I'm just going to now point out the political connections of We Charity. 
So We Charity says it paid $312,000 for 28 speaking events by Margaret Trudeau, the mother of Prime Minister Jean, Justin Trudeau, and 40000 for eight events with Sa- Alexandre Sassra Trudeau, the PM's brother. The totals include a 20% commission paid to Margaret and Alexandre Trudeau's speaking agency. Most of the fees were covered by the Me Too We social enterprise, a for-profit entity adjacent to the charity. But 64000 was paid directly by the We Charity. Now, I thought this was... Girl, imagine being paid for your knowledge. As a racialized woman, I can't relate, honestly. I, I can't. actually <laughs> can. <laughs> and, and you know what? They pay. Back, show me the way. Girl, I'm telling you. See the speaker's fees? I thought these were the cheapest shit I ever saw. I, I guess on one occasion, like, Sophie got $1,500. I'm like, that's what I charge. Like, <laughs> I just like, and then somebody, some snippy Twitter person was like, it's an honorarium. I'm like, why are you getting honorariums from for-profit entities? I don't understand that. That's a fee, not an honorarium. You know what I mean? Girl, you got me rooting for Sophie. I'm like, Sophie, get that green. Well, $1,500? What's Sophie that? Sophie needs to get paid, too. <laughs> I, think they, I think the way they position Sophie is that she is the quiet little... It's very... Actually, the way they, the way they position Sophie is very fucking misogynistic, to be honest. Okay, but it's also like Sophie and her white feminism. No, I get it. Right? I don't want to like no, 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 take no, no, no. the agency but away she, and it's both, like... Both things... It's basically white feminism. Yeah, but both things can be like true that. at the same time, is what I'm yeah. saying. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, like, that white feminism stems from, like, an internalized paternalism, too, that I'm yeah, not here the for. The maternal feminist. Yeah. The maternal first wave French exactly. Quebecois feminist. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. The Federal Ethics Commission, sorry, the Federal Ethics Commissioner has launched an investigation into the Trudeau government's now abandoned $900 million deal with We Charity, and the House of Commons Finance Committee has passed two motions to further investigate the matter, and that is exactly what I'm talking about. Accountability, okay? Nobody should be... Um, exempt from accountability okay or else we just have a dictatorship good so um this is my favorite part so shout out to the bad and bitchy listener who dm'd me this information on saturday morning you know who you are shout out to you by the way keep sending me shit because you send good shit um claire morneau the daughter of Finance Minister Bill Morneau spoke at a We Day Ottawa event on November 9th, 2016, when she was just 17 years old. Now, the Toronto Star profiled her at the same time, describing her as, quote, Craig Kielberger in a kilt. Oh, to be a white girl. Oh, yeah. And, and it goes on to say, or maybe just call her the newly named UN Global Youth Ambassador for Refugee Issues, the youth counterpart, wow. sort of, to the role that Angelina Jolie holds. Bright, 
poised and fluent in the issues she cares about, she comes across in person as neither a Serena or a Blair in the lingua franca of Gossip Girl. Can I puke what is now? That? Oh, girl. You know what? The, the Toronto Star, I have issues with. This is just getting me mad. Okay. Like- yeah. Okay, the article then goes on to say, quote, if nothing else, the Trudeau rah-rah-rah and experience with canvassing helped hone her powers of persuasion, ones that should come in handy when the do-gooder prepares to face an audience of 18,000 this week. She's been tapped to speak at We Day in Ottawa or, or the similar speaking role she had at the One Young World Conference, a kind of Davos for youth. So... Now you can see why the humanitarian like at all of and nonprofit sector is racist and and colonialist as fuck. And and who's doing the work and who's talking about the work? You know, those so, are two different people. Exactly. She parachuted in Kenya, okay, with her white privilege and takes the the stories of women of color of black africans produces some torture like poverty porn and then Trauma builds porn, her yeah. brand off of it if that's not exploitation and fucking colonialism i don't know what is and let me tell you something she goes on to do this is exactly also what she went to do she, the she wrote a book she wrote a book called yeah. kakuma girls sharing stories of hardship and hope from the Kakuma refugee camp. She also enjoyed the support of we co-founder Mark Kielberger in publishing the book at 17 motherfucking years old. Okay. And on top of that, she was, was granted a Ted talk. Okay. Okay. Where her dad I'm was in the here, front row, by like, the way. Like taking deep breaths. Okay. I'm taking deep no, breaths. No, you don't have to, to take myself. deep breaths. On top of that, okay, now that you've heard that 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 gross um, um, manipulation of exploitation, colonialism, privilege, money, and power from a then 17-year-old, by the way, Peter McKay's wife joined Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and others to speak at a we that we day Ottawa conference, the same one. Uh, as yeah. Peter McKay said in his now deleted tweet, the Kielberger Bros and We Movement are a remarkable Canadian force for good. And Aaron O'Toole, oh oh oh, because Twitter. Twitter, let me tell you, Twitter and receipts, man. You can't get away with shit, okay? Aaron O'Toole was, um, spoke with some public school for We Day in the school that we had already talked about. And when you see the participants, of, they're all white. They all look like Republicans, Girl, these are white saviors. Oh my gosh! Wanna, I think like, that's Martin. Save some, like, Wait a minute, that's Martin Short in the picture. No, mm-hmm. sorry, not Martin Short. Martin Sheen. No, no. The, Martin Sheen. Martin Who Sheen, like like uh, Charlie Sheen's father. 
Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. He does a lot of um, charity work in Ottawa, by the way. I met him once hmm. at like, at literally my, uh, my then um, hair salon. Girl, that photo just like, I, I'm just like uncomfortable looking at that photo. Canada is an just... oligarchy, people. It is not. It's an oligarchic democracy. Let's get that but right. Damn, what do what do these white people want with me? <laughs> they want to exploit you, girl. And that is the material <laughs> point. So, we are now at the 49 minute 48 minute mark, and that's fine, whatever. This is the raw um epi- episode time, which is fine. Yeah. Uh so this may be a bit of a long one, and I don't care. Anyway, let's move on. Uh Again, talking about white people. Yeah, as Just like usual. wielding their white privilege around the world. So let's talk. Let's talk about the letter. Yeah, let's talk about this letter. So last week, Harper's published a letter on justice and open debate, initially signed by 153 writers, artists, academics, and journalists. In it, co- the cohort of artists, intellectuals, and public figures decry a landscape in which intolerance of opposing view views a vote for public shame public shaming and ostracism and the tendency to devolve complex policy issues in a blinding moral certainty end quote have in their eyes become rampant so in other words let it's a letter to cancel cancel culture so you know who's very interesting the signatories so among the signatories are our very own misogynists of a few weeks ago both jk rowling and our favorite white feminist margaret atwood who have basically made a habit of you know just white lady tears and petulance um, and Margaret Atwood specifically is, um, this is not her first time signing a letter upholding oppression in literary spaces. And when and was that other time? When, you know, in 2016, I think, when she signed an open letter conden- condemning the University of British Columbia for firing the novelist Stephen Galloway, who was a, prof- prof- a professor at the university and was facing potentially a few allegations of sexual assault. Again, I may be wrong on the time, uh, the timing on that letter, but she did that. No, no, you're um, right, because bad and we will link to this in show notes, too, which reminds me. Bad and Bitchy wrote a Globe op-ed in response to that in January 2018. Oh. I will link to yeah. it. But go ahead. Yeah. And again, this letter uh, basically outlines what we hear on social media all the time. They're basically calling out a stifling atmosphere that leaves no room for... Ha- uh, for again, again, I'm quite... Sorry, I don't know. I'm not talking. Anyway... So the letter outlines a stifling atmosphere that leaves no room for experimentation, risk-taking, and even mistakes. One that makes good faith disagreement impossible, punishes those who depart from the cons- uh, consensus, and it makes everyone less capable of democratic participation. But this letter is basically nothing but a petty cry for attention from people whose outdated and bigoted ideas are increasingly met with calls for accountability, which you and I, again, we just talked about. People like Chomsky and Atwood and Rowling, 
whose work, which both creates and upholds dominant liberal and oppressive narratives, are just basically bitter that their mediocre and white supremacist ideas aren't as blindly celebrated and lauded as much as they used to be before. That's basically what's happening. Yeah, and again, you have a bunch of like, people in power who are now being asked to check themselves. Yeah. And again, it's like I said at the top of this episode, power needs responsibility or else you get dictatorship. And for the longest time, these people have worked in um, a structure and an industry that has, I would say, given them outsized um, uh, exposure for their stories in relation to ours. There is also a piece in... Okay, so I am going to uh, talk about uh, this stifling atmosphere that um, Mm -hmm. leaves no no room for, quote, experimentation, risk-taking, and even mistakes, unquote, the one that makes, quote, good faith disagreement, unquote, impossible, punishes those who, quote, depart from the consensus, unquote, and, quote, makes everyone less capable of democratic participation, unquote. That is a load of bullshit. That is a load of bullshit. Because... The caucasity. uh, Excuse me, have you met us? Like, first of all, I want to ask our listeners, have you met us? Have you seen us in action? Have you seen us online? Have you seen us in person? Have you seen us on media? In what part of our existence is there a stifling atmosphere, no experimentation, no risk-taking? And yeah, there are mistakes. And we talk about them. Uh, And... uh, are we not a departure from the consensus? So what the fuck is she talking about? What is happening is that people are questioning the consensus because the consensus is what upholds the status quo. And there's no more... The consensus is white supremacy. It is. Because who is that? Who is invited to input ideas to form the consensus? Right? Margaret Atwood is complaining about cancel culture. Her fucking book garnered a movie and a TV series on Hulu, damn it. So what what the fuck more does she want? Like what more can we give them? What more do they want? Write a letter when you don't know if you're going to be able to pay rent or not this month like the rest of us. In fact, then we can talk about cancel culture. Now they're talking about 32 people in America have defaulted on some sort of household payment in July. Or was it June? In June. That's where we're at. And you have these elitists sitting up here perched in their ivory tower and they're so used to shit rolling downhill that they don't that they're pissed off that we're throwing it back in their faces. What and also like what the hell is good faith disagreement? A disagreement oh. is a disagreement. Oh, good faith disagreement. I'm like Margaret. How is supposed like how is supporting alleged like alleged abusers 
good faith disagreement? How is denying trans people's experiences and right to access gender aff- affirming healthcare? As J.K. Rowling's been kind of going around and promoting this last week, how is that a good faith disagreement? Right, like. You're basically denying people's existence. You're denying them them of their human rights, and when you're being called out for it, you know, it, you know, it, you're calling it like a good faith disagreement and asking us to just be nicer to you. Yeah, this is tone policing, and it's racist. Okay, because guess who the people who are canceling are? They don't have nearly the power. And the people who are pushing back on cancel culture sure as hell have a lot of space and platform to do so. Honestly, like would you and I, two women who have at numerous time, times been subject, subject to gaslighting and violence, let's just say in Canada's political systems, be able to publish a letter outlining the ways powerful white men and women have harmed us without facing real backlash? And I'm not talking tweets and messages like these people are talking about. Like real backlash, having our social um, lives, having our academic lives, having our um, financial uh, lives come under stress and cut off. No. Like they're basically like, how are you canceled? Like you literally just wrote a letter maintaining the fact that you're bigots in Harper's Magazine. Yeah, like it. Uh, I I have nothing to say. Like I'm just so angry. I know. So, um, I will. I'm like you. Y'all don't know what canceled is. No, they don't. They really don't know what canceled is. Try getting blackballed for speaking out, and and not getting any promotion, not getting any getting reprimanded, getting backlash, getting. Oh, you having know who your- got canceled? Jody Wilson Raybold. Well, that's what I got being canceled. Well, M- MP Selena. Yeah. Jane and I mean, Philpott. Like, MP's approach is like Jane much Philpott. more. I yeah, and I love how like again, for Selena. I I wouldn't call again. I realize here's the thing. I realize the systems of oppression that led to Selena op- opting out, and those were the contributing factors to her opting out but again i don't usually say like she was canceled mainly because again the narrative that she's creating and the narrative she's talking about is one of you know i'm taking back my story and i'm too good for this institution so i'm leaving and again i realized that there were that did happen that did happen but at the same time i'm like if that's the narrative and if if that's the decision and the thought process that selena's putting out there I recognize all of that and we've talked about yeah. it. But at the same time, I'm just like, yeah, Selena, power to you. Yeah. Selena. Oh, yeah. Now, canceled doesn't mean completely disempowered. Yeah. And I think we need to understand that, right? Like, these women were. It's like having the power lines cut off. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Having your resources cut off, having your community cut off or not having a community, or being isolated. Um, that's what abusers do, by the way. Mm-hmm. And that is abusive. But Margaret Atwood can still make money. 
What about yeah. how about this? What about all the people who go to jail for petty offenses that are canceled from uh, an, an an employment trajectory? What about them? They're always canceled. Or voting rights. You know? You want to talk about democratic participation? Let's talk about incarcerated people and voting rights. Thank you. Can ain't nobody more canceled than incarcerated people. By the yeah. way, we should put that in our Hill Times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying that 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 reminding myself when I edit this. You know? Yeah. Anyway, like that's the way I feel. Um, and I think that it's just another form of oppression. In, uh, by, and that's what white supremacy does. It makes power look like victims. Okay? Because, yeah. and Noam Chomsky, I have a question. Girl, I'm over you. Okay? <laughs> Noam Chomsky, to me, is like, um, yeah, a socialist white guy. And socialist white guys have a problem with race and gender. Honestly, I wouldn't even call him socialist. I'm like, what is this liberal BS you've been talking about for the past few decades? What? Yeah. I've never seen... I'm Honestly, I'm like... I thought he was a socialist You, you framed hero. that as socialism? Mm, I don't... I call... I mean, left-leaning liberalism, maybe? I don't know. Okay. Most of the people... I mean, like, white liberal guys love him. I know. Which means that he's, he's automatically problematic. Because they also love yep. Elon Musk. So there's that. <laughs> You're on the same level. Yeah. Literally, they're on the same level. You know, white, wealthy, endowed. Yeah. So uh, overrated. Naturally, he is overrated. <laughs> I will say that you can. I, I don't care if people at me. I'm just like we're in a world right now that that is has moved past Noam Chomsky. Like if this is your hero, I don't get it. I really don't get it because you're not getting anything in terms of um in terms of uh it's like as if this summer did not happen like even maybe before this listen, summer i was like okay but listen noam to who else but now the pandemic the black lives matter protests and still noam chomsky yeah fuck mm -mm. that if you're on black if you're not on black lives matter but you're on noam chomsky you are the problem okay let me tell you who else signed this letter malcolm gladwell which which surprises me none because i'm convinced michael glad Mark malcolm gladwell has some internalized anti-black racism okay because he likes oh, to pass honey, we're gonna talk about that he likes to pass and i'm not here for it not not today not in 2020 and then wants to tell us how to live but he can't deal with his own blackness by okay gloria steinem gloria motherfucking steinem signed this motherfucking letter girl i'm not down with this girl girl i'm like mm-mm Keep that in the seventies, and so, we're over and it. And Salman Rushdie is like no, I, oh girl, like he's no, no, no surprise no, 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 no. to me. But you know who did surprise me? Wynton Marcellus. Oh yeah, girl. And then and then um and then somebody's. I, I, by the way, I'm loving the sounds that I'm making today. I, They're completely. I, new. I'm telling you, I like them. You need to keep that. Um, so naturally there was a backlash, um, and the backlash included, uh, Dan, uh, Daniel Radcliffe, who was, who basically criticized her on Twitter, JK Rowland, that is. So, I mean, uh, this is, 
this is a debate about power, privilege, race, and class. So, which is very much the theme this week. And how those, yep. all those things work together. And again, this conversation is going to be continued in our Misogynist of the Week pod. So, if you're listening to this, keep your eye out. All right. So, for Misogynist of the Week. Yeah. So, let's... Let's move through to Black in the Newsroom. That's a hashtag if you actually want to look I'm this up. I'm excited to hear about this. Yeah. Um, okay. So um, black media, black people in media have been going through sort of like a Me Too movement of their own, like a Me Too e- expression of um, their experiences in the newsroom. And um, Kathleen newman Bremen, uh Girl, Kathleen, if I got that wrong, I apologize. Um, Wrote in Refinery 21 a really, really good piece. 29. Shit! Let me start. (laughs) Do you want to start that again? Okay. You can do it. I believe in you. Okay. Black in the news. So we're now going to pivot to black in the newsroom. So that's a hashtag that has been alive or living all since June, early June. And it comes on the heels of uh, the Wendy Mesley issue and how CBC has not dealt with it properly. And basically, um, so let me tell you about the CBC News issue. Wendy Mesley uh, was on a phone call, uh, was on a phone call and are in a room uh and she used the N-word and on this phone call. And the phone call included a black journalist or a black producer. And you can find her thread on it if you actually use this hashtag, black in the newsroom. Um, so uh, on the heels of that, um, there was um, an outcry from the union or basically union members of CBC who base and, and Neil McDonald and Chantelle bear who basically called the fact that this, that Wendy Mesley was reported um, a takedown. And, and, Oh, they love calling them takedowns. Yeah. And basically called this black journal, a black producer, a snitch. Oh yeah, oh yeah, mm-hmm. oh yeah, oh yeah, honey. Oh, she she thinks she's canceled now. She thinks she was uh, actively canceled. In other words, um, on the uh, a former longtime CBC Union staffer posted an article in CBC's private Facebook group. The article called. The people who leaked Wendy Mesley's use of the N-word to Canada land, rats and snitches. Bruce Dowbiggin is his name. That's Bruce D-O-W-B-I-G-G-I-N. Apparently I get racist names, right? <laughs> and, anyway. And in a post called entitled The Snitches Who Betrayed Wendy Mesley goes on to further victimize uh, this 
these these journalists and producers of color. How dare you stand up against white How supremacy? How dare you? How dare you? Honestly, the caucasity, I'm telling you. Now, in this Facebook group, many more union members were upset that CBC, that at those who, quote, aired CBC's dirty laundry and have shown, quote, disloyalty, end quote. And where have we heard the term disloyalty from? Oh, I think it was the SNC Laveline scandal and Jody Wilson-Raybould and MP Celine and Jane, Jane Philpott were were. How dare you bite the hand that feeds exactly. you? How dare you? That's basically what they're saying. Exactly. Now, the union, uh, as um, as represented by Kim Trinicity, uh, liked that article. Like, uh, the, she registered a like to that article. She's the union. Okay. So it's obvious that the union is uh, full of white supremacists, and see, we gotta talk about unions. Uh, we will talk week. about unions. You don't worry about that because with unions, we will also talk about the NDP. Anyway, so this was tweeted by Adrian Harewood, um, and uh, who has done like some absolute excellent work in this area. Um, y'all don't even know. <laughs> the kind of mentorship he has provided a lot of us, myself very much included. I, you know, to me, he was a guiding hand in media, is. Uh, he also has a, he also went on Canada Land itself to talk about these issues. So you can find that in Canada Land. And just like, so this is the state of things. I think the last time we were on air, we talked about TSN. We talked about, um uh of course Jessica Mulrooney, et cetera, et cetera. But uh there's also issues in global. You know, uh there was a long thread by oh, a yeah. dude. Oh, what is his name? Because I cannot find the thread right now. I just find it interesting that Kathy Kathy English, editor in chief of the Toronto Star. Or she was editor in chief, at least when uh, Desmond was there, is tweeting about objectivity led by black journalists in the oh, wait a minute in is which is a New York Times article, but ignores the bullshit she did to Desmond Cole. By the way, shout out to Desmond Cole by doing what they tell you cannot be done, which is give a big middle finger to the entire Canadian media industry who once tried to shut him out publicly and publicly humiliated, then wrote a whole a whole chapter about it in his book about the Toronto Star, which is still a number one bestseller. So shout out to that middle finger. Things Desmond did that. Yeah. He did that. Exactly. He did yeah. that. He walked so we could run. So uh, on June 5th, Honestly. speaking of Desmond Cole, on June 15th, um, so we posted this on our Facebook um, and Wendy Mesley, in her defense of using the N-word, said sh that she was quoting Desmond Cole. So she then tried to throw Desmond Cole under the bus. And blaming him 
for her racism. Because black men can use it. Because for Why her racism, I? though. And the fact that Neil McDonald got on Twitter to to talk about the snitching of CBC employees and how she was taken down and Chantelle Hebert um, agreed is disgusting. And this is a, 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 a an industry, I will come back to this later, but let's recall the appropriation prize debacle of 2014. Oh, God. Okay? Yep. When a whole bunch of... Uh, so Jonathan Kay, who of course writes for Colette now so he was always a racist Our favorite he was always a racist <laughs> and his mother's a bigot so the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree um a prominent cbc producer executive producer uh somebody from and a few other people mocked indigenous people in journalism over the issue of appropriation by mocking, by by hashtagging appropriation prize and openly mocking them. CBC is racist as I fuck. will never forget Jesse Wente's um, reaction to that. What do you mean? His media interviews about that, amazing. Oh, really? Uh, he called them out very, uh, yeah, I remember some of the videos. Oh, yeah. awesome. So um, Desmond Cole wrote an open letter to Wendy Mesley. Uh, which starts with, I was recently invited to be a guest panelist with Wendy Mesley on her CBC show, The Weekly. A producer said the panel would explore the lack of black rep- perspectives and representation in Canadian media, and I accepted. Okay. On the day of the taping, I was told that Wendy Mesley would be absent for personal reasons. Um, so basically what he's talking about... Uh, was that given our racist working conditions and the consequences we face for owning our blackness, it's obvious why so few of us are speaking and being heard on mainstream platforms. Black media employees and those who are indigenous or other people of color are still afraid to report racism on the job for fear of retribution. So much needs to change so um this was signed by kathleen uh newman bremen bashir muhammad vicky machama kayla gray who was um the person uh who we were talking about with the tsn issue l jones andre demise philip dwight morgan and myself um and Shereem Ahmed, Denise Balkasun, et cetera, et cetera, David Mastracci, et cetera, et cetera. So basically, that was in response to what was happening with Wendy Mesley. I've yet to hear CBC say or do anything about that. Now, um, this is, I know, this is a thing. So I guess where we are right now is... Uh, what um, Kathleen talks about in her Refinery29 um, uh, piece, which is, quote, journalism school with all its flaws at least prepares you for the intimidating red blinking light of live TV or the pressure of an impending print deadline. 
They tell you it will be hard and full of sleepless nights. They tell you to sharpen your skills because the jobs are scarce and the competition is intense. What they don't tell you, especially if your professors are white, is that for black women, your career will be littered with shattered hopes and lined with shards of broken dreams. Ah, I love that line. So beautiful. By virtue of being black, We know that hopes and dreams without hard work won't get us anywhere. But I didn't understand how painful it would be to spend a decade standing on jagged edges of disappointment, knowing that even when I achieved some of the wide-eyed goals I had in school, they would be crushed under the weight of anti-Black racism and a system that was never designed for us to really succeed end quote. So that's um, partially where we, <laughs> I'm like, that's partially where we are right now. So um, do you want, <laughs> do you want to take it from there? <laughs> Honestly, I feel like that was, <sighs> girl. Honestly, where's the lie though? Right? Where's the lie? We've, we've brought up, selena's name a couple of times in this episode and and it's true right and again i feel like what i'm thinking about now as someone who is okay so like we're intervening in the systems as the podcast you know in the you know media plat you know and the in the media sector and with platform my nonprofit, you know we're we're trying to intervene in like canadian political systems to really i think now's the time for even like all of our listeners for every single one of us who are non-black to again really take some time take some time off try to find out how how we are contributing to the systems and cycles of disappointment and hard work with no recognition for black people and i think um that's what I would like to leave our listeners with this week. Well, I actually I actually have something else to leave them with. And I want to talk about um, how precarious this work is for yeah. black media people. And um, there was... So let me start over. Okay, so one of the things that we need to highlight, okay, is that... A lot of these um, media jobs are precarious. So, and a lot of those precarious workers are workers of color. So to speak out means that you lose your income and you You risk everything. You risk everything. You have no rights. Um, I know that... uh, According to the Canadian Media Guild website, um, the same Kim Trinacity uh, met, who is the um, Canadian Media Guild, so the union, CBC Radio Canada branch president, who like the, um, the snitches get stitches, uh, basically met with Heritage Minister St- Stephen and uh, asked the minister to convert 50% of temporary and precarious workers at CBC to full-time staff. Many of, quote, many of the temporary employees are black, indigenous, and people of color, 
end quote, Trinacity told the minister. Converting so many temps to full-time will make the corporation more reflective of Canada and go a long way to repairing a damaged workplace culture that must work to address issues of racism at CBC Radio Canada. Now, that's bullshit that that's going to solve the problem because uh, you're still running a plantation where the people of color are the temporary workers and are expendable and the people in power are white. And who and also are the ones responsible for fixing the white supremacy that you've put in place. Sing it, sister. Right? Again, we know that having, of course, having racialized people who, who you know, who work for racialized communities in leadership positions and people who are there to hold people to account, that's important. But again, we need to like make sure to not fall under this like weird cycle of like representation matters where we just feel like by adding people into these already defined pre-existing institutions and positions of power is going to actually change the structures of the organization, right? So I feel like, again, they need to go hand in hand, you know, the representation and the accountability, but to fit to, but to expect that having one is going to automatically bring along the other is a huge mistake. It is a huge mistake. Um, the uh, CBC got $1.2 billion with a B in government funding last year, yet 25% of its employees, about 1,200 people, are on temporary casual contacts with virtually zero job security. All of the CBC, uh, the black CBC... Uh, Recommendations? No, employees that I know are temporary. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So that in itself yep. is racist. Um so I, I, I think I think that this needs to be highlighted that there is an economic sort of, of, of situation or it's an economic trap that keeps yeah. people of color oppressed. And I, I think that's why the whole We Day thing is so egregious is because this is how you're starting off kids. You're teaching them that their labor is not worth anything. And then you're going to turn around and blame them later for not having enough financial literacy to ask for a raise. And honestly, what they're promoting is not even volunteerism, right? It's exploitation of labor. Exactly. And those who are different and they're not, it's saviorism, it's white saviorism, and it's exploitation of labor. Ex and again, it's a th con it's the connecting thread between all of these issues and the economic backlash that will, you know, with the impending uh, worse to come. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's it. I'm not sure if that sentence makes sense, but you get yeah. it. Yeah. No, no. I'm on your vibe, man. I'm on your vibe, girl. A group of black employees uh, at CBC Radio Canada sent 10 calls of action to the senior executive team. Um, this was on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, one is a zero tolerance policy on racism and or anti-black racism in the code of conduct. 
Two is that foundational policies must be reviewed through the lens of diversity, inclusion, anti-black racism, and anti-oppression. This includes, but is not limited to, the code of conduct, journalistic standards and practices, da-da-da-da-da. Training courses must be reviewed. Um, a, a person of color to the next available position of the senior executive team. I would even say a black person because not all people of color are in for this fight, okay? Because we've seen a lot of, uh, and I'm going to say it, Asian and Southeast Asian people throw us under the bus too many times. And side with white supremacy. And side with white supremacy. Because they're constantly navigating the line between proximity to blackness and kind of white power exactly so which, one is which one are we going to exactly go? and they and they straddle that right? line definitely so yeah. it includes calls to create black content similar to cbc indigenous um accelerating the appointment of currently qualified black employees into leadership positions um and a few other things so audits uh, independent audits, uh, establish an independent office to track and thoroughly investigate complaints of race. I, ah, there we go. I was like, I was about to say, where's the data? And number 10 is publicly release all race-based data and reports currently available to those to come in the future and including, but not limited to the current retention and promotion rates of non-white employees. Bam. And data is so important, right? Even going back to that piece about uh, women in the Ontario uh, nonprofit sector, the ONN report also showed that again. There is no data on like racialized women, black women, indigenous women, immigrant women specifically within the nonprofit sector, and that's a problem. So again, we see it in the media sector as well. That again, this lack of data collection allows them to blur the lines between what's actually happening and the diversity that exists or lack thereof well in the, then in the this sector. is let me tell you let me tell you what happens when white people at cbc take over an issue okay so cbc in the in quebec i don't know if it's radio canada i'm guessing it is um cbc podcast sorry they want to do um, a series on basically blackness. Oh. Um, it's a show that used to be on, but naturally it's, it's called A Seat at the Table. <laughs> um, but they want to, they want people who are U.S. centric. So, oh. Yeah. Because oh, they because, want, you know, it's about the race issue in the U.S. and not in Canada. That's one thing, but it's also about clicks and and links and distribution and likes and all of that. It's about the profile. Oh, yeah. So they want um, to produce a Canadian show on racism by inviting pure U.S. guests for their to steal their clout. By the way, oh, by the way, girl, girl, listen, wait, like wait, wait, operates. I'm not done. Hold on. Okay. The other thing, too, is that Canadian taxpayers are paying for this. So we're paying 
to be erased out of our own experiences by the CBC. Oh, my God. Okay? Yes. That's what I'm talking about. Okay? Beautifully put. Now, um, 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 what was I going to say? Uh, the other thing, too, is that, you know what? More activists or or advocacy, anti, anti-black, you know, activists, racism activists, um, would have clout if CBC actually put them on. Right? Girl, I can just like name five anti like anti-racism, at least five or but, even but, ten but, anti-racism. No, no, no. But they are they, educators no, who would benefit. No, no, no. Listen, from listen. This is what I'm saying like to you. Okay, just listen for a second. This is what I'm saying to you. Okay. The point is, is that it's a fucking catch twenty-two, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because they don't put us on, they don't print our shit, they don't write our pitches, they don't publish us. Right. And then they're using that as a basis to to write us out of our own uniquely Canadian perspective with taxpayer dollars. That's what Mm -hmm. I'm talking about. Okay. Yep. It's like when you pitch an op-ed and they're like, hey, can you just like send me a list of like other places you've been published before? And it's like interesting. Nowhere else is publishing my opinion. Um, And I would like to also hmm uh i would like to close this off unless you have something else you want to say i'm good okay but i would like to close this off you know as white people love to say hashtag listening and learning yes for now (laughs) you're like you're like i'm hashtagging okay um the 1991 broadcasting act states that Quote, this Canadian Broadcasting Corporation as the national broadcaster should provide radio and television services incorporating a wide range of programming that informs, enlightens, and entertains. The programming provided by the CBC should, number one, be predominantly and distinctly, distinctively Canadian, reflect Canada and its regions to national and regional audiences while serving the special needs of those regions. Two, actively contribute to the flow and exchange of cultural expression. Three is English and French. Four is English and French. Uh, five, contribute to the shared national consciousness and identity. Six, be able be made available throughout Canada by the most appropriate and efficient means and as resources become available for the purpose. And let me talk about number seven. Reflect the multicultural and multiracial nature of Canada, end quote. That is in legislation, people. So we need to be asking why the fuck they're not even upholding legislation. That they wrote. (laughs) You know, what the fuck? Is my question. Anyway, that's it for this week. <laughs> I know. I had so much fun. Oh I my gosh. This. It was good to it's good to be back. It is totally, totally good to be back. And now I'm just checking that I recorded all that. All right, y'all. Ciao. My bitch is bad and bullshit.